invite you to open up your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, we're beginning that chapter this morning. We'll be uh, looking at the first seven verses there of chapter 3. You know, over the past several weeks, as we've looked through chapter 2, and especially the end of chapter 2, Peter has been given, if, if you've been here, you know, <laughs> Peter's been given, giving some really challenging instructions to the churches that he's writing to and, and, and to us. You may remember kind of the context for the audience that he's writing to is that they've been facing persecution, They've been facing lots of suffering. You can't miss it as you go all the way through 1 Peter. He's addressing that suffering. They've been, been experiencing suffering evidently at the, the hands of those who are around them. Some uh, almost certainly from the government, but also from neighbors uh, that are around them. Because following Christ has made them different. <laughs> it's made them stand out uh, to the world in which they Live and, and therefore it's brought hardship upon them. And you can imagine if a hardship comes upon you, you're suffering and, and, and there's persecution against you, there are going to be certain temptations uh, that you're faced with. Uh, one of those temptations is going to be to respond by retaliating. Uh, I, I think that's probably the most natural uh, anytime any of us face suffering from others. Uh, we, we retaliate naturally. Also, there can be a, a drive to separate themselves as a, as a people completely, to live separately. Another temptation to, to uh, fall back into living like those who are around them, living like the world, temptation that's always there. And I hope you see the similarities there. It's not just them that were faced with those temptations. We are faced with the same temptations to, uh, to retaliate, strike back. Maybe it's uh, at those in authority over us uh, to separate ourselves out, to become like the world that's constantly uh, eating at us. It's, it's a temptation. But to all of those, Peter has said, no. Now you are a part of the kingdom of God. And so He's been instructing them in how to live in the face of suffering, the face of persecution, as a part of that kingdom. And especially in this area, which we might say is of the greatest challenge, authority. And I, I think especially of our day today. I, I think that word authority, Authority, especially where we are in the United States of America with our history, uh, it is not a liked word. Now, within certain realms, authority, we see, okay, that's okay. Uh, but otherwise, I am a free agent. I am a free entity. That's the way we've been taught to think. That's the way our minds work. And so when we hear about authority in different relationships that we have, we can tend toward one of these, uh, these temptations. Um, now, we may live in a very different world today, and we do, than the Greek and Roman world of the first century. Uh, we experience different things. The government looks different. All, all kinds of things are different. Yet kingdom living 
is every bit, I think, as, as radical in this world, uh, at least to some extent in certain areas. Uh, and so we do face the same basic temptations. Uh, now, the things that we've been looking at up to this point, uh, with respect to living under authority and living with authority, they, the, the instructions that Peter has given, you'll know this, they go completely against the grain of this world, don't they? And so we can expect as believers to struggle with these, both externally as uh, we, we, we face uh, unjust suffering especially, um, but also internally as the flesh pulls at us. And I will say that today's topic is certainly no exception in that area. It has to do with marriage, as I've already mentioned. It has to do with the roles of husband and wives within marriage. Uh, and it really answers this question. What does kingdom living look like in this all-important area? What does it mean to follow Christ in this area, to be mindful of him as we heard before, uh, to live before him, and to make, to make that, our relationship with Christ, the thing that that drives how we live in a, a marriage relationship, how we relate to our spouse for those who are uh, in marriage or who will be in marriage. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is, I believe, this passage is so important to us. There, there's, you know, marriage is an institution in this world. We can thank the Lord for that. Uh, you know, you can go anywhere and any religion anywhere. People are married not always a Christian marriage. We know, and we know we live in a, a, a country in which the laws often stand against true marriage and the one who uh, instituted marriage. Yet, marriage is there, it's, it's present, and the Lord uses it. And so this is for, I think, all of us here, especially for those who are married and those who are looking, who may be young or looking one day to be married, uh, but also, I think it provides help for others as well. So having said that, it's First Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 1, uh, and we will go down through verse 7. Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
please share with me as we look to the Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in marriage. Uh, We thank you that even though we may struggle, and we may struggle at times tremendously in this area for those who are married, those who have been married, uh, Father, but thank you that you have provided a design that is right and a design that is good. You've provided a, a, a way of flourishing. Uh, and so I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see and to understand that way as we look uh, at this passage, as we look at your word. Uh, we ask for your help, that your spirit would open our eyes, our ears, to be able to see, to understand uh, this word, to apply it to our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the, one of the problems that's plaguing the members of the churches to whom Peter is, is writing here apparently involved married couples in which one spouse uh, had come to faith in Christ. We don't know exactly when, whether perhaps some had gotten married after they had come to uh, faith in Christ. I think probably a, a large portion is speaking about those who are in, uh, in marriage already and one came to faith. Uh, but this, this is the issue that's being dealt with here. Um, and it would have especially been prob- problematic in households where it was the wife who came to faith. Because in that culture, uh, we know that wives weren't even able to have their own friends. Uh, and especially when it came to their husband and his gods, uh, they were to be a part of that. They were to follow uh, that And so imagine for a moment the radical change that took place, that must have taken place, when a woman who is in the household uh, experiences this coming to faith in Christ so that her priorities are changed, uh, the desires of her heart are changed, they're realigned, so that she begins to look to Christ, to follow Him, to obey uh, Christ, to love Christ in all things. Uh, you can just imagine the, the, the types of problems that would cause, not only in, in their marriage, but also within culture at large, as, as this happened more and more, uh, more and more people were converted. And so we can imagine that the churches needed clarity uh, for those who were in this position, that they may, may have been asking the question, do we need to warn people? Before they come to Christ, this is going to wreck your marriage, uh, for one, and it's going to continue to cause severe problems with the culture at large. They need to be warned about that or just told, you've just got to live with it and face the repercussions. Well, uh, Peter uh, evidently sees the need to remind these believers about how Christian wives and husbands are to live together in marriage according to God's design and in submission to Christ. That's a key as we look at this. Uh, God's design and submission to Christ. And Peter also knew that 
He knew what would happen in marriages when this began to take place, when people really began to live uh, according to the way that God had designed marriage, uh, that the effect upon people and the response of people, even in the case of unbelieving husbands, could be very different than might be expected when that unbelieving husband might see through his wife the beauty of marriage lived according to God's design and the inherent freedom that's there. And, and in some cases, he might have even been drawn to faith in Christ himself. Uh, the issue that Peter is addressing here, once again, if, if we go back and think about the context, what we've already gone through over the past several weeks, it, it brings to the forefront the same principle that we've seen again and again that believers instructed to live uh, under authority, God-given authority, uh, that, that it happens in a way in which the world can't understand. Because this is, it's a different kind of living. It's kingdom living. It's not of this world. Uh, and yet it is when it takes place, and, and takes place according to what, what God has designed uh, it is something that causes the world to take notice because even though many may hate it uh, because it involves authority, there's something that's undeniably good that results in the lives of those who live in this way. And even it can be in the surrounding culture because they're living according to God's design. Now, in this case, we're dealing with uh, his design for men and for women in the context of, of marriage. Now, uh, I happen to, like probably some here, uh, know about this firsthand. There was a time when years ago, uh, I was not a believer. Amy wasn't. Uh, we were attending a wedding in which in, in the middle of the wedding, there was someone that was very close to me. In fact, it was my sister who stood up and she addressed the couple who were being married. And she talked about the beauty of marriage. Uh, and she spoke about uh, what the, the wonderful value of marriage when it's lived out in a way, in accordance with God's design, God's design for the husband, God's design for the wife, in the different roles that God has given them. And she read some words out of Ephesians chapter 5, which is kind of the go-to passage that, that describes this so well. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a few words. This was what I was hearing. I'm sitting there in the seats with Amy and unbelievers, and we're hearing wives Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And she was describing that. And I'll be honest, my reaction when I heard that, and you may be able to guess this, it was anger. I was livid. Uh, I didn't like being told that God had designed into marriage some kind of authority structure of any kind. Yet, to be honest, I also couldn't deny what I was able to see, even at that point, in my sister's own marriage. And so this, this was me. This was me as an unbeliever, incapable of understanding 
these things. And it wasn't until years later, after having come to faith and having begun to follow Christ and begun to, or, or having received and accepted his commands, that I began to see something of what my sister had been describing, something of the beauty that comes from living out these roles according to God's design. Yet I've got to say, and Amy can attest to this, that hasn't come easily into this day. It's not always easy to live in that way, in the roles that God has designed. Uh, we, we, we so easily respond to one another by looking at the other person and saying, you didn't do this. You didn't provide me with this. We set the expectations rather than submitting ourselves first to Christ. You know, our flesh so easily enters in. And so we need the, a reminder of this situation, even if we are in a place in which we are able now to understand it. And I'll say right up front that outside of Christ, we hear this. Uh, we can't truly understand these things. In Christ, we can, but we, we often really struggle with them. Uh, and so we need that reminder here. Now, in this passage, uh, Peter first addresses wives, and then he addresses, so believing wives, and then he addresses believing husbands. We're going we're gonna to follow in that order. Uh, first, he says this. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So, Peter's beginning with this distinctive behavior that, that God calls for from Christian wives. And, and, and let me remind you of the, the context here. Uh, if we go back and we think what we've already gone through, it's the ability or even the freedom to submit to authority, even unjust authority, willingly because of what Christ has done for us and to us. And here, this is being applied to marriage. Now, of course, I'm not saying as we go through this that marriage isn't designed to be beautiful, to be lovely, to be enjoyable. It is. But Peter's message here to wives is that there is a particular role uh, and, and duties that go along with that role, that a Christian wife is enabled to, to choose and to live and, and, and is called to live even when her husband falls short, way short. That's especially clear here uh, because notice the husband is not even a believer uh, in this first section. Look at the, the first word that Peter uses uh, when he addresses uh, wives in our passage, uh, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Let me read a, a quote from one commentator, uh, because I think he does a really good job of describing this, addressing it. He says, The word likewise connects the distinctive behavior of the Christian wife back to the life of the Christian pilgrim in this world. 
I'll remind you back in, in chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's the pilgrim part, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He was setting the stage uh, for those whom he was going to, to call to this, this obedience. Uh, and so th- there's this connection with the word likewise. Christians, this uh, commentator says, Christians fear God. Christians are his slaves. Therefore, they do not fear people. That's important as we look at this. They are free, he says, because they are the royal people of God. They are free in slavery to God. They are free as followers of Christ. And so they submit themselves to others willingly and freely. You know, I... I think, and one of the reasons I I like that uh, quote is because we need to hear that because we so easily misunderstand and mischaracterize this word that's used there, be subject to or submissive to. It's the same word uh, in the Greek. It is so misunderstood by the world on the outside. When I was talking about me at the wedding, I heard that word. I completely misunderstood it. I took it in in the wrong way. Uh, And likewise, with Christians, we're we're bound to see it in the wrong way. Uh, Wives are never to kowtow to their husbands. Uh, What I'm saying is they are never to be subservient to them in the sense that they just do whatever they're told, uh, especially out of fear. Now, the Christian wife, this calling loves and fears the Lord, and therefore, out of a submission to Him, a submission to what Christ has done, is drawn to serve and obey Him, and therefore, to serve and obey her husband, to respect Him. Uh, She is subject to her husband. And as she's doing this, notice, she's following her Savior, The example that he left her, remember back in uh, chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So think about what this does. This frees her from merely responding to her husband and and to uh, his treatment of her. Now, I just want to make the statement here. I've In each of these cases, as we address this authority, I've made this statement. It needs to be made here. This is is not condoning in any sense abuse of wives. Uh, And so that is treated as a separate category. No, this this is talking about within a marriage where there is a true marriage that that is occurring, that there are these different roles that need to uh, that we need to apply ourselves to. And so again, what this does is it, it frees the wife from merely uh, responding to her husband. She doesn't just submit to him and follow his leadership only if he does the things that she wants. And actually that's made so clear in this passage uh, because the husband here is an unbeliever, which you think about it, it means that he, he lacks the ability to truly love her in a godly, sacrificial way. But notice that doesn't change the response of the wife, in this case, toward him. Even if, Peter says, they, he's talking about the husbands, do not obey the word. Even if 
They do not love you as the word commands them to. Uh, You are still to live in obedience to Christ and to treat him because you're responding through Christ to, to treat him in accordance with the role that is given here. Now, of course, this is applied to wives of Christian husbands, as well as to those uh, who are not Christian, but especially to those who are Christians. What Peter's doing here, he's giving the extreme case, because evidently this was a common occurrence in these churches. And in doing so, he makes it clear that, that wives are to live in this way, even when their husbands are not doing the things that they may desire. And he gives a reason for that, especially in this case with unbelieving husbands. Uh, Peter says, So that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, think about it. He's referring here to a Christian wife of an unbeliever, of someone who is opposed to God, who's disobedient to the gospel, who, who hates the very things that she loves. And yet, in the way that she lives her life, uh, his wife is called to this, to an unselfish example, uh, to a respect for him, to purity, to having eyes for no other man. Uh, and think about what that would do for the husband. It would cause him not only to think highly of her, but even in some cases to want the thing that she has and to desire that, to know that this is right and to be drawn to Christ. It would soften his heart so that he is is drawn to Christ without words. Now there's still the need for words to hear the gospel. Uh, to believe on Christ, but his heart is prepared so that that gospel can take root inside of him. How? On the basis of this obedience of uh, his wife. He ask the question, is this easy? Does it come naturally? The answer there has got to be no. Not at all, especially in this situation. Whether it is a husband uh, that's living with an unbelieving wife or the other way around, it has to be no. But at the same time, this is the product of the Lord's work inside of her. And that's the beauty of it. That even in marriage in which we fail, in which there is conflict uh, within the marriage, in which there are challenges, there are difficulties... The Lord is using these in the context of marriage to bring about the very things that we're reading here, to shape us, to mold us uh, into those who are able to live in a beautiful way, even in the face of injustice. The question for each one of us uh, in this kind of a case is, am I responsive to that? Am I looking for that? Am I looking for Christ to to do that work inside of me, wanting him to change me on the inside? Or am I living in marriage, for those who are married, more like those who are in the world, uh, where I point to the other person and and say, you need to do that, you're not doing this, and so uh, therefore I'm going to respond to you 
in a way that is in kind, uh, in a way that is outside of this, of what God has designed. You know, Peter goes on in this passage to demonstrate uh, the wife who is looking to Christ. And so he, he describes uh, what kingdom living looks like to her. Uh, look with me at beginning at verse 3. And, and, and notice the emphasis here on the inward rather than the outward. Just like we read in, uh, in the Beatitudes moments ago. Uh, the focus on the inward rather than the outward. This is answering the question, what's important? Do not, speaking to the wife, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You think about all that stands against that that I just read. Uh, the world in which we live, the media, social media. Uh, all of it wants to tell you, it, it's how you appear that's the most important. You know, look the part, be self-willed. Uh, use what you've got, exert influence over others. Wear the latest fashion. Uh, make your body count, show it off. What a contrast here, isn't it, with what Peter says. He's saying, don't be preoccupied with outward appearances. You know, he does mention hair. He mentions jewelry. He mentions clothing. We could probably add a number of things to that list today. I'll leave that up to you. Now, he's, he's not, of course, prohibiting all of these things. Uh, he's not prohibiting any makeup, any perfume, hairstyle, whatever. He's saying, don't be preoccupied with it. Peter's saying that what really matters to God is the godly character of the wife. That's what he's working on. That's what he's molding and, and shaping in a woman who is seeking after Christ. Uh, as, as he says here, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit you know, think of Jesus himself where he says, uh, Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Peter is speaking here about one who is being shaped into more and more into that. Not, a, not one who's given over to passion or wrath, but one who is patient, not proud or arrogant, uh, but quiet, peaceable, uh, not gossiping. And we could go on and on. You can kind of think of the fruit of the Spirit here, can't you? Yet the overriding characteristic, the characteristic that we're given here is that out of a dedication to Christ, out of who she is in Christ, there's, there is a, a willing submission to the husband. We get the example here that's given uh, for Sarah, uh, if, you, if you look down at uh, verse 5, verse 6, speaking about the holy women of the past who hoped in God by submitting uh, to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you, speaking to the wives, you are her children, you are her progeny, you, you follow in that line if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening 
in that last statement, it seems he's talking about a fear of man. If you fear the Lord and follow the Lord first and foremost, and then live out of that. You can think of Sarah, what we know about Sarah, that Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 20, she followed her husband when the Lord called him to go to a place that must have been fearful, must have been strange and, and difficult, but she was there with him and she uh, followed along uh, with him. Uh, and points out uh, that she called him Lord. We have one instance of that uh, in, in Genesis. And of course, speaking in that context, that was a term of respect. Uh, today, we wouldn't use that term of one another. I think in, if you're in England, you'd use it of people, perhaps, the, the lords. Uh, but here, it's, he's speaking about respect uh, and having the right orientation uh, toward uh, the husband. I'm sure as we talk through these things, you can see uh, that this is a completely different way of living than the world around us. It's foreign. Uh, that was the response that I had uh, years ago when I was at that wedding. I, I saw it as being foreign, but I struck out against it because I didn't understand it. I didn't see it uh, in a, from a right perspective. But we have the understanding today that the Lord has provided for this. That in the context of marriage, He, he makes this beautiful. Because there's not just one in marriage, there are two in marriage. And even though Peter is describing the situation here in which one is an unbeliever and one is a believer, uh, he, he, he's pointing toward the desired place, of course, in which both are believers, both are submitted to the Lord, both are following in this way, but in different roles. That's it, in different roles. And then, therefore, he goes next to husbands. Look at verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I mean, that's, that's at the heart of it. That's right there at the beginning. Now, at first glance, you just read this, you might think it might come into your, your mind. Well, this appears to be a much easier command to follow than with the wives. Now, of course, we've got to caution against that. Uh, because that's, that's not the case. Think about uh, the, the equivalent passage in Ephesians 5 that I read earlier. Husbands, live with, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's, that's one of those statements that we can read a hundred times over. And, and there's a sense in which it's clear. It's, it's there before us. But there's a sense in which you shake your head and, and say, how could I ever uh, live up to that? How could I ever love her in that way? That's where we look to, look to Christ. Um, we shouldn't see one role as being easier than the other. They're, they're simply different in the way that they're carried out. Men and women are different. Both of them call for an individual to, to follow Christ in humble and compassionate love. Uh, toward the other person, one in which it's dying to self and living to Christ and therefore enabled to love the other, regardless of the response of the other. 
And that's true again here with husbands. It is described in the sense of looking to Christ in obedience to him, not dependent upon her response. Now, even as I say that, of course, the desire is that you've got husband and wife, they're living together, and they are truly living these out. That's, that's always at the heart of this. That is God's design. But we're never going to live that way perfectly. And so the question is, where are we before Christ? Uh, look again, verse 7. Uh, look at the word that he begins with, first of all, likewise. So used in the same way that verse 1, used likewise, applied it to the wives. Uh, now we're continuing uh, to look. It brings bring us into the, the entire context. So likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You know, what this is literally saying is that the husband is to, to live with her according to knowledge of her. According to knowledge of her. Uh, what, a, what a critical statement this is uh, for the husband, that he must know his wife. And he must know her well. He must be in touch with her needs and I, being a man and being a husband, can't emphasize this enough for those of us here who are men and who are husbands, because this is not in our nature. I'll just say it. Uh, yet, to do the work to understand our wives, to know our wives, there's a sense in which men are relatively simple. Uh, women are far more complex. There is a difference there. And men must do the work to know their wives, to recognize their needs, to understand them, to take into account their, their feelings, delicacy of their feelings, her nature, which is different. You know, all the way through this, what, what we've got to realize, and I've got to make the statement, men and women are different. Uh, you go back X number of years ago, I wouldn't have had to make that statement, right? Uh, it's, it, it, it's plain, it's clear before us. But uh, today, you've got to make that statement, and it's not one that the world likes to hear. But we are different. And it doesn't take long being around uh, a, a man, being around a woman, to know the differences. But it, isn't it interesting that this is the aspect that our culture, that our world is attacking right now and tearing down? Uh, the world hates this characterization uh, right here. Uh, look at First uh, Peter chapter 7, again, a little further along, uh, under, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Again, it's just a recognition, men and women are different as the weaker vessel. Now, I think, uh, best I can tell, that Peter is speaking physically here. When he says weaker vessel, the word vessel is kind of the key because that's only used, uh, it, it appears only used uh, in a physical sense in the word. Uh, some take it another way that it is speaking emotionally or spiritually. Uh, but but I believe that he, he's speaking in physical terms, and it's that which we already know. 
Uh, and it's because of the fact that the husband here is given a particular duty to watch over, to care for spiritually. And it says he is to honor his wife in doing this, uh, to protect, uh, to, again, care for, be, be compassionate toward. I think when it, when it speaks of honoring her, this also speaks about honoring her, if she is a believer, as one of God's precious children. Uh, why? What's the reason that's given here? Uh, he says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then he goes on to say, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, Peter has been establishing this difference between men and women. They, 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 they are called to different roles. They are different as people. Yet right here, Peter beautifully expresses that husbands and wives are equal. There is no difference in their standing before the Lord. They are co-heirs with one another. In Sunday school we talked about this, that they are co-heirs together with Christ. There's no difference in their standing before the Lord. Uh, look back at, at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. I'll go back to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Then he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's talking about the church and the beauty of the church, uh, that, that you are being built up together. Think about husbands and wives together, uh, who both... If they are believers looking to the Lord, they are both this. Uh, and, and therefore, there's this beauty as they together are uh, one with the other. They're not oriented against each other, but together looking to the Lord, building His church one stone at a time, serving together uh, as His people. And so what... Uh, Peter is calling upon the husband to do here is to see his wife in that way. Uh, and uh, what a beauty, beautiful uh, thing it is when we are able to, uh, to see that and, and when men truly are honoring uh, their wives in this way as, as those who are one together with him being built up as a spiritual house. Uh, and then... Peter ends this by saying, so that, it's almost like a warning, isn't it? So that your prayers may not be hindered. He's saying, when you don't live in this way, warning, warning flag, uh, it's going to hinder your relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord is going to be affected by your relationship with your wife. There's sin that's involved there. Uh, your prayer life will be hindered. Um, and, and what he's doing, he's just pointing out how central this marriage relationship is. And we can see it in this passage. It's for the husband and for the wife. How central this is that the Lord uses this relationship uh, in order to do a work in us. In order to, to bring us into that place where more and more uh, we are walking together with him and... Uh, by the Lord, Lord's will, we are walking together, husband and wife, uh, before him. 
Uh, and what a beautiful thing that can be. It's not always there. Uh, it's not always going to be there. Um, and so we, we need to make that statement. But that's what this is a picture of, the centrality of, uh, of marriage in helping us. And you can see that a lot better as you go to Ephesians 5. And uh, the comparison is made uh, between marriage and, and Christ and his church. Uh, it's a beautiful picture. But to always remember that marriage is pointing somewhere, that it's taking us somewhere. And it is something that is designed by God to be beautiful. What's our calling? To submit to Christ and to live out that calling before the Lord. Uh, Let me say a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your good design. Uh, We thank you for your provision for it. Uh, Father, we must say that we are weak and we often go astray in in this. And so we pray for your help. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, within within providence, with the the families and and the marriages that are here, Uh, Lord, that more and more you'll help us to study these words. Uh, Help us to to long for you to do that work inside of us. Help us to cling to Christ and then to live together in the way that you have designed uh, and to continue, to continue day after day, uh, knowing uh, as we do, co-heirs in Christ, what we just read. We thank you. uh, We ask for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.